Well, that was a, uh, I love that song that we just sung. That's good, good encouragement, good gospel encouragement. Uh, and even more gospel encouragement is uh, the passage we're going to be reading this morning. It's Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Uh, if you're using, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you want to follow along in the Bible and didn't have one with you, it would be on page 835 of those Bibles. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that my words this morning would be faithful to your word, that you would lead by your Holy Spirit that you would work in each of our hearts, that the gospel message would be clearly presented, that the truth of this passage would be clearly presented, and that you would do your work, the things only you can do in our hearts, changing us from one degree of glory to the next, saving and rescuing. That is all of you, Lord. Unless you build the house, we who build labor in vain. So would you do that? In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you could go, uh, maybe you've played a, a game like this, but if you could go back to one historical event, one, go back in time and be there for any historical event, what event, I'm not going to ask everybody to call, call out, have you ever had this conversation? Like, what would you go back to? Where would you like to be at that moment when it happened? You ever thought about that? Nobody is responding. Yes, all right, yes, you have, you have thought about that. And some of you, I bet, if you think about where I'd like to go back to, probably think about what we're talking about today, right? I would love to go back 
and be there at this very moment, right? Some of us think, if I could go back to that moment, all my doubts would be erased. Do you think that? All my doubts would be erased. Some think if I could be there, see what they saw, get a glimpse inside that tomb, then I'd believe. Maybe there are some here in that category today. Like, no, I do not believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. Uh, Yes, I'm here on Easter Sunday, but I don't believe that. But if I could go back and see it, then I'd believe. Would you? If I could see it, then, then I'd really devote my life to Jesus. Would you? Would your doubts be gone? And would you really live differently? Today's passage actually tells a different story. Today's passage tells us that some believe and some do not, despite real evidence presented to both parties. And nonetheless, I have a challenge for you today. Ask yourself as you sit here, as you listen to me for these next few minutes, is this true? Is it true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if the answer is yes, what does that mean for my life? Here we are, 2,000 years later, 6,000 miles away from the scene And this story is still changing the world. Time is measured by it. We gather here every Sunday to celebrate the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday. We believe that he really came, he really died, and he really rose from the dead. We believe that he is at the right hand of God, that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe that because He lives, all who believe in Him for the forgiveness of sins, for clothing in His righteousness, all who believe will live eternally in a new heavens and a new earth where only righteousness dwells. We gather because of that hope. And we live now in that hope. That is what sustains us in this life. There's a lot that's broken in this world. But we believe that the resurrection of Jesus and the work that he currently does to change hearts and lives is a foretaste of a time when sorrow and pain will be no more, like we just saw. What is it that you believe today? So with the rest of our time, I I want us to look in this passage at the gospel proclaimed and attested to, and then the reactions that we see in this passage. The gospel proclaimed and attested to, and the reactions it produces. So we see in this passage, it was, it was toward dawn. We're going to say it was toward dawn after the day of the Sabbath. Sabbath for the Jewish people was and is Saturday. The Sabbath ends. Do you know when the Sabbath ends for them? Sundown Saturday. So there's some debate about when it is that these women are going to the tomb. Some think it's immediately after the Sabbath ended that they immediately, at night, they're going. It seems from piecing together the gospel passages, they're going when it's dark, they're going when it's toward dawn. But they use the phrase 
toward dawn to describe everything after the end of the Sabbath. So it could have been, could have been the middle of the night, but we, we think it's toward dawn, okay, close to dawn. And so uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the only reason she's referred to as the other Mary is because uh, Matthew explained a few verses before this that it's Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Uh, he says that in 2756. It's just, you know, you don't, it's not the name you like to be referred to historically as the other Mary, and maybe the third Mary, actually, because there's two others. Uh, this, is, this is Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. So they go to see the tomb, and it's okay to visit at this point because the Sabbath and the Passover are now over, and the tomb of Jesus is covered by a large stone. But they're going to get some help with the stone. They get there and there's a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled away the stone from the tomb and sits on the stone. Can you picture this scene? If you were to see an angel today, like if you were walking out of church today and an angel appeared in front of you, do you know what you would do? What happened to the guard here? says they, they fell down like they were dead men, right? If you walked out to an angel, you would think you were seeing God. Here sits this angel accompanied by the earthquake. What's the earthquake signify? Well, you remember when Jesus was crucified. What happened after he died? We read that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing man's access to God the Father, to the most holy places through Christ. Then in Matthew 27, 51, Matthew says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. These few days in Jerusalem were wild. And here another earthquake happens, declaring the mighty power and victory of God. If you're looking for a little word study in your Bibles to do this week, look up all the times it talks about the earth trembling, earthquakes, the earth shaking. How, how many times they're tied to God having victory, God declaring victory. And here it is again. God is declaring victory and his mighty power. Nothing is going to defeat the Lord. Nothing is going to defeat his Messiah. Not even death. Death will not defeat him. So this mighty display is accompanied by a message. The Apostle Paul would later say in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. Over and over in the scriptures, word and power, power and word. And here the angel becomes the very first post-resurrection gospel preacher. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Those words can lose their luster if you're in church in, you know, week in and week out. Those are amazing words. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Just like he told you. He told you. 
this was going to happen. He told you repeatedly that this was going to happen and you didn't get it. Well, Mary and, and the other Mary did get it. That's why they were there. They, they, they believed that something was going to be happening. He told them repeatedly. But now, because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he kept his word perfectly. Because he is fully perfect man, his sacrifice is complete and it is sufficient. What wonderful words to say to these women. Do not be afraid. Did you notice that the angel does not say, do not be afraid, to the guards? They trembled and became like dead men at the sight of him. The gospel message is a comfort for those who believe in Jesus. Amen. All those songs that we sung this morning, those times of welcome, the prayers of confession and assurance, they are a comfort for those whose trust is in Christ. They comfort the believer. They remind us of what is true. That he says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I will not cast you out. Those are precious promises for those whose trust is in Jesus Christ. It tells us, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The gospel tells us that Jesus has done what we could not do. Jesus has fully atoned for our sin by his perfect life and his sacrificial death. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Jesus rules and reigns and ever lives to intercede before God on behalf of all who believe. There is to be no more fear for the one who trusts in Jesus. No more fear of punishment. No more fear of wrath. Do you know that this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ? Amen. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear of punishment. There is no fear of God's wrath. There is no more fear of everything we rightly, rightly deserve and have earned by our rejection and our rebellion against God. The God who has the right to demand our lives on us, of us. Even the passage we read earlier, Colossians chapter 3, right? It says, set your minds on things above. And if you were to stand in front of him today and he was going to say, I told you to set your minds on things above and to live accordingly. How have you been doing with that? He has the right to say, that's it, I'm done. But instead, through Christ, he bids us come, and he welcomes us, and he forgives us, and he cleans us, and he counts us exactly as righteous as Jesus himself is through faith. More on that shortly. So the angel shows the women the place where Jesus was, and he's gone. The angel dismisses them by saying, see, I have told you, as if to say, I, did, I took care of my mission. My mission was to come and to declare to you that Jesus is risen. I have announced to you, this is good news. He's alive. I've done my, my work. Go. Go tell the disciples this news. Mary and Mary will become the next ambassadors of the gospel. 
So they go. And as they go, they're going to tell the disciples, who do they encounter on their way? Jesus. The risen Jesus. What's his first word to them? Greetings. It's a, it's a hey. Yeah, they're, they're running back to, to, to tell them this. Yo, hey. Uh, I don't want to read too much into this, okay? Because this is a word that's used very commonly in the New Testament. But this is the same word that Judas used when he betrayed Jesus. This is the same word that the soldiers yelled when they were mocking Jesus, when they say, Hail, King of the Jews, same word. That word, which we may have a bitter taste in our mouths from the last couple chapters reading the gospel uh, accounts, now has such sweetness. Can, can you imagine being Mary and Mary in that situation? Huh? They, they know, they believe that he's alive, but now they're, see, they're seeing it. They, they see, like, it's really him. How is this possible? You know things, uh, but until you see that, it's like, all right, I believe, I believe that he's alive. I believe what the angel said, but he, wow, he's actually alive. He is Lord of all, all your fears, ladies. They're wiped away. I'm here. What greater proof could there be that Jesus was raised than that he stood before him? It was really him. It's amazing. And they do the only thing that you could do in a time like that. What do they do immediately? They fall at his feet and worship. But not only that, did you notice what else it says? So they fall at his feet and worship, but they don't just fall at his feet. What do they do? They take hold of his feet. And that's not a throwaway verse, not a throwaway phrase. Matthew's telling you, he was real, right? The Apostle John will later say in the book of 1 John, he'll start it with like, our hands have touched him. And here, Matthew is telling us, they grabbed his feet and they worshiped. He was real. He was no phantom. He was no figment of their imagination. They touched him. The risen Christ is Worthy of our worship, just as the two Marys did. He rose so that doubters and rejectors would be turned into worshipers. But I think it's worthwhile on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, to stop here and ask this question. Because maybe some of you, you, you may be hearing me preach and I get excited and I'm happy. And you're like, well, that's fine. I still don't know if I believe that he actually rose from the dead. And why do we believe that he actually rose from the dead? Why is it that we believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And I want to make this really, really, really clear. I've said it a couple times. I'm going to say it again. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, we are of, most, of all people most to be pitied. If he's not physically risen from the dead, if you go to churches or hear preachers who say it really doesn't matter if he actually rose from the dead, they're lying. They're wrong. Because the Apostle Paul said if, if he wasn't really raised, this is all in vain. 
This whole gathering's in vain. This is a social club if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. No hope. If you're saying Jesus rising from the dead does not actually matter, okay? Imagine, if you will, not that I need to drive this home further, imagine, if you will, you're driving down the road after taking your car to the mechanic, Sorry. <laughs> driving down the road after taking your car to the mechanic and you go to hit the brakes, right? And they're not working. And in your desperate moments, you call your mechanic. You said, I, I brought this in for, for brakes. And your mechanic says, I, I did. I put metaphorical brakes in the car. <laughs> and you're saying to yourself and to your mechanic, what good are metaphorical brakes right now? My car won't stop. Those who say that Jesus rising from the dead or not rising from the dead are saying, like, let's use some metaphorical brakes for our car. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we're going headlong to death with nothing to stop us and no hope to sustain us. So why do we believe that Jesus is risen? Well, first, I want to make very clear. We believe what we believe, and it requires faith. We do not remove faith from the equation, as does every person who believes anything about anything that's unseen, right? Every belief system requires faith. However, ours is a reasonable faith. So we start here. The resurrection is part of the testimony of the early church. Okay, we have the scriptures. Let's start there. They testify to a truly and physically risen Jesus. The early church claims to be built upon the risen Christ. We have the changed lives of Jesus' disciples. By all accounts, these men went from being self-admitted cowards who could not stay with Jesus in his hours of greatest need to a group of men who, a short time later, were willing to lay their lives down for the risen Christ. Do people change like this for something that they know is a lie? Never once is a body produced. None of the claims of the disciples were meaningfully disputed, even though doing so could have stopped this whole thing in its tracks. One body, all they needed. Think about the changes not just in Jesus 11, but a man like Saul, who we call Paul. This was a man who hated Christians. He was putting them to death. He was seeking to arrest as many as possible. And then he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. All of a sudden, he's now preaching the name that he has been denouncing. All of a sudden. What, what changed him? He had to forfeit earthly treasures, earthly success, earthly acclaim. Paul then later says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he was risen. Now, if you were going to a, a trial 
and there were 500 witnesses on behalf of the defense. That's a pretty airtight case. And Paul was telling the Corinthian church, he was saying, many of these people are still alive. He's saying to the Corinthian church, you could literally have a conversation with people right now who were there and saw Jesus. Matthew and the other gospel writers, another piece of evidence that I think is, is compelling, they don't seek to cast themselves in a positive light. These stories do not make the disciples look amazing. Nor do they seek to hide details that could be potentially damaging to their case. Having two women be the first witnesses of the risen Jesus in that culture would have been, already had the case killed. They would not have been counted as, as reliable witnesses. Telling us that the story was going to be circulated, that the body was stolen. Why did Matthew include that? Couldn't that introduce doubt into people's minds? Think like, oh yeah, maybe the body was stolen. All details were included regardless of how they affect our view because it's true. All that is in here is true. Take a few seconds with me and just think through some of this stuff. So we got a guard stationed at the tomb, right? They said they were going to secure the tomb when Jesus was put in it, right? With a guard. How many people were in a guard? Do you know? I'll, I'll tell you. It's pro we're probably looking at 16 guys. Okay? Who are the people who make up the guard? They just like find 16 guys and say, can you stand there? Most of the guard is, is retired soldiers. Okay? So they're Roman soldiers, 16 of them at this tomb. And their job was to do what? What was their job? Guard the tomb so that what? That it doesn't get stolen. The disciples can't keep perpetrating this lie. Soldiers. Do they typically just like disregard orders from their higher ups? Soldiers who are put on guard, do they typically like all 16 of them just go to sleep at the same time? If you were on a watch as a soldier, some of you have this experience. If you're on a watch as a soldier, do you just say, like, I think I'll probably just take a, a little nap, take a snooze? And as a matter of fact, let's all 16 of us take a nap right now. No. No. These soldiers knew the risks if they didn't fulfill their duty. They were told. They had seen evidence. If they didn't fulfill their duty, specific to this duty, I have read that some Roman soldiers were burned alive in their clothes, in their gear, for failing to fulfill their job. So to say, like, ah, hey, this is the real explanation. They all drifted off to sleep. The disciples, who to this point have not been the picture of bravery, <laughs> snuck up on these soldiers, and they rolled away this gigantic stone, and they stole this body, they hid this body, and then they said, let's make up a story that he's risen from the dead, and so much so that we're going to be willing to be the first ones to put our necks on the chopping block for it. That takes a lot of faith to believe. 
about maybe, maybe somebody else stole the body and the disciples never saw it, right? Well, then they still made up everything they wrote after the resurrection account because they said they saw him and they touched him and they spent time with him and they watched him ascend into heaven after 40 days. They said all this stuff. So even if somebody else stole the body, they still knew they were dying for a lie. Maybe they were hallucinating. Is that possible? Just a hallucinate, 40-day hallucination. Seems improbable. They touched him. They talked with him. They saw Jesus alive. When the evidence is examined, the most logical and compelling conclusion is that Jesus is alive. Really and truly and physically alive. So with our last few minutes here, I want to look at the two reactions to the risen Christ in this passage. First, we have the soldiers in the council. The soldiers see the angel. Just like Mary and Mary, they saw the angel. They're trembling and they're like dead men in his presence. So this encounter ends... And some of the guards say they've got to go in the city. They've got to go tell the religious leaders what they just saw. So unwittingly, they actually become proclaimers of the gospel. They, get, they go to the chief priest and they say, you're never going to, I can't even begin to tell you what just happened. We saw this thing. We thought we were dead. He's talking about this Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. How is this possible? You know, the religious leaders would be a good group of people to say, wow, you know, maybe he is the Messiah. They are unmoved. Unmoved. This same council was more than willing to put Jesus to death even if some thought he might be exactly who he said he was. They're told that Jesus is not in his tomb, that an angel was there. They give it some thought, and they decide to pay off the soldiers to perpetrate a lie. That's crazy. That, that is crazy. Even more crazy, the soldiers accept it. You and me... We wouldn't do that, would we? We'd have been better than that. We'd have been better than those soldiers and those chief priests, wouldn't we? This account tells me two things. Seeing is not always believing. Good to be reminded. There are plenty of examples in scriptures of people who saw and did not believe. All the things you say, if I saw that, there's no way I wouldn't believe you wouldn't, apart from God's grace. Apart from God's grace, our hearts are so desperately wicked that we would bury what we know to be true if it means holding on to profitable lies. Some of you know that to be true, maybe even right now. 
We don't want to face the truth about the Lord because it might mean laying down our riches. It might mean laying down our prestige. It might mean laying down our position. It might mean laying down our sin, which we love more than Him. And I don't want to give that up because I love my sin more than I love the Lord. Our hearts are so desperately wicked that we bury what we know to be true so that we can cling to profitable lies. Just like these soldiers. Just like these religious leaders. The council knew this. And now this guard is a part of the same hypocrisy. Right? They, they make this promise to them. Like, hey, listen guys. We're going to pay you a lot of money. You say that the disciples stole the body. And if you get into some troubles with the Romans... We'll say that, you know, everything's fine. What authority did the religious leaders have to say that? What protection could they offer to these guys? Really none. They were just making empty promises because it was convenient for them at the moment. We're good at that. Making empty promises because it's convenient at the moment. Doing what is expedient and temporarily advantageous, overlooking the long-term effects. One day, every single secret will be laid bare. One day, all our denials, all our wicked rebellion will be exposed. Are you here today burying the truth that you know in order to continue chasing after earthly gains, loving things that the Lord calls evil, Pursuing things that he says should be beneath your pursuit of him. But you say, yeah, but it makes life better right now. Yeah, but it's convenient right now. And I don't want to think about what the Lord wants from me. How merciful of the Lord to give you another chance to hear. Another chance to turn and believe in him. Even now, believe, believe that Jesus is the risen Savior. Even now, he bids you come. He doesn't say, oh, well, that's the sin you did already is too much to come to me now. You're beyond hope. You're beyond help. He doesn't say that to anyone in this room. He says, come, turn, believe. Today, those soldiers saw the angel. They heard the message and they sold the truth for a lie. But on the other side, as we draw to a close this morning, we have the two Marys. As mentioned earlier, in a situation fraught with fear, they are told not to be afraid by the angel and by Jesus. And when Jesus tells you not to be afraid, that's a rock-solid statement. If he tells you not to be afraid, don't be afraid. Did you know that for those whose trust is in Christ, we have nothing to fear? There is no fear. The pains we experience, they hurt. But even the worst of them, we need not fear. When disease and death come knocking at the door, of the believer in Christ, we need not fear because death is merely a servant to bring us to the Lord. Amen. Jesus took away the sting of death 
Paul says. He took away the sting by paying for our sins. Now death is a servant to bring us to the Lord. And when we stand before the Lord, though fear is the appropriate response, so we think, if I were to see him today, I would be so afraid. When we stand before the Lord, though fear is the appropriate response, believers in Christ need not fear because the Lord sees us as he sees his precious son. Mary and Mary were afraid, but they were put at rest. The angel reminds them, Jesus reminds them, don't be afraid. Beloved, don't be afraid. And so Mary and Mary, when they see Jesus, it says here, actually before they had seen Jesus, look, look in uh, da, 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 one of these verses. Uh, come on. It's only 15 verses. Here we go, verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and what else? Great joy. Before they had seen Jesus, they left with great joy. When the angels announced to the shepherds that the, the Savior had been born, he said, they said, we bring you good news of what? Great joy. And now we have Mary and Mary running from the tomb. Haven't seen Jesus yet, but they have great joy. When the angels announce that, we see that theme over and over in the life of Jesus. Jesus produces great joy. Faith in Jesus produces great joy. They believed. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. They run to tell the disciples because the message of Jesus is good news worth sharing. They were being obedient to what the angel told them to do. They were being obedient to what Jesus then told them to do. But they were also doing what was happening in the overflow of their hearts. The good news of Jesus is news worth sharing. Our hope is not dead. He's alive. When they see Jesus alive, they, they worship him. They hold his feet. He sends them on their way to go tell the disciples, and they obey. The gospel does beautiful work among us. Christ dies and is raised as our substitute. He gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. He causes us to have hearts that worship him. He does all of it, and he strengthens us to obey him. The fact that Mary and Mary respond like this while the soldiers sell themselves to the council, it tells us and it reminds us that only God can change a heart. If you're here this morning saying, I, I want to believe this. I want to believe this. Cry out to God for mercy even now, even today, even this moment. He can change the hardest and coldest of hearts. The one that had no intention of even seeking him. I mean, we talked about Saul earlier. This guy was not on his way to, to hear from the Christians about what they thought on certain matters. He was on his way to kill them. And the Lord saved him. The Lord changes hearts. And you can cry out to him for that, even today. 
And I want to wrap up with just by illustrating that from one other little thing in this passage. Little thing that I think is just beautiful. 28.10. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell who? My brothers to go to, to, to Galilee. Jesus is referring to his disciples as his brothers. He didn't say, go tell those cowards to meet me in Galilee. Go tell those deniers to meet me in Galilee. He said, go tell my brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's pretty amazing. This is just days after. These guys were nowhere to be found except for John standing at the foot of the cross. They're nowhere to be found. And he says, go tell my brothers. These are my brothers. These are the ones who I died for. These are the ones who I was raised for. My brothers. He came to save his brothers and sisters who have been the most hateful, rebellious, wicked, wayward brothers and sisters, so unworthy, so unlovely. We have sold him out. We've been ashamed of him. We've suppressed his truth. Yet still, to all whose trust is in him, the one who died for us and then defeated death by rising, he calls us brothers. Fellow heirs with him. All that he stands to inherit is ours through faith. How can it be? The beauty of Easter Sunday is that the death destroyer turns the spiritually dead into brothers and sisters. The Marys knew this grace. Do you? He bids you come. Come, believe in the risen and reigning Savior. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks again that Jesus is truly risen and that our hope is secure. And even now you bid the wayward to come and believe. We who have been willing to sell you out, we who have been willing to uh, worship other gods, loved other things more than you when you have demanded our lives of us, you still bid us come and trust in Christ and find forgiveness and healing and hope. Lord, work in each of our hearts. Increase our faith. Save and restore. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope of Easter Sunday. And we pray this in your name. Amen.